Hello and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe. My name is Harriet Smith and on Dietitian Cafe we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. This episode is a bit different from usual because I'm joined by three expert dietitians who are passionate advocates for promoting good mental health amongst the dietetic profession. I'll be chatting to Dorothy Bellhatchett, Karen Chapman and Holly Monday-Jones about the work that they've been involved with relating to mental health in the profession. This coincides with Mental Health Awareness Week, which is the 10th to the 16th of May. And in this episode, we're going to cover some really important topics and themes, such as why good mental health at work is important, the impact that COVID has had on healthcare professionals' mental health, and how we can do more to begin a conversation about mental health and address mental health in the workplace with our fellow colleagues. I hope that you find this episode really interesting and enjoy listening to what our experts have to say. Hi, I'm Dorothy. Um, I'm a registered dietitian and I've actually kind of tried not to work in one area for too long at a time. So I've got a bit of experience um, in acute or actually probably the majority of my experience was as an acute dietitian. And then I've worked in community as well, a little bit in public health, a little bit in research. And then for the last six years, I've been working as a lecturer. Um, so both lecturer and placement tutor and leading a, a course for a dietetics program with a particular focus on on supporting learners with disabilities and really a core interest um, as part of that role in widening participation. Hello, I'm Karen Chapman. Um, I am a specialist mental health dietitian based in Newcastle. So at at the moment, I mostly work with adults. Um, I cover several community treatment teams um, and I cover a range of um, mental health conditions um, including eating disorders. Um, I work with a very large um, MDT um, and it's a a really rewarding role. Um, And then outside my NHS work I also do some freelance work as a dietitian and a personal trainer um, which I really enjoy. Hi, my name's Holly Monday-Jones. Um, I My current role um, is a critical care dietitian um, and also an acute specialist um, nutrition support dietitian. Um, I'm also um, a current acute dietetic team lead. Um, and the reason I'm here talking today is um, because I'm also a, a dietetic wellbeing champion and an engagement ambassador in my current trust in North Wales. So I just want to begin by asking you as a dietitian, why are you interested in talking about mental health and dietetics? Yeah, I do think that is something really good to think about because we we do spend so much of our our life at work. Um, so we really need to think about our quality of life as a whole. There's a large focus on our physical health, but not so much with mental health. Um, so really, especially mental health dietitians, we try to promote the role um, that mental health plays in physical health and we, we try to bridge that gap. Um, so for, throughout the years, I have found that my quality of life is better and I'm a better you know, person at home and as a dietitian when I, my mental health is, is good. So I think my interest really stemmed from three places. So um, growing up, I experienced um, some 
some difficulties in my family. So some family suicides and quite a bit of family mental illness. And I was too young at the time, really, to kind of understand much about what was happening. Um, but the struggles that happened within my immediate family kind of really showed me that mental illness in particular is kind of more than we talk about it as being. So um, it can kind of have a very physical component and can really change someone's daily living behavior um, quite suddenly to just to something that's so unlike what they are like when they're well. Um, and I found that just really detached from some of the discussions in the public about kind of what depression is. Um, and so that was probably my first point of interest. And then I think secondly, just when I started working as a lecturer, um, at the beginning, the main focus of my role was really to support students on placement who had a disability. Um, so some of those disabilities uh, were a mental illness. Um, and so I would work with the University Disability Service and just get them set up with some recommendations for reasonable adjustments um, just before their placement and then kind of work will go with the student and negotiate those adjustments with the placement supervisors, just kind of agreeing how all of that would work in practice and then kind of checking in during the placement to just provide a bit of support. Um, and at the time, if I'm honest, kind of disability law and the Equality Act was actually really new to me, um, surprisingly, because I'd worked in dietetics for quite a long time. So I think, you know, obviously, when we're working in healthcare, we kind of understand uh, the principles of treating people fairly. Um, but I think... Uh, I'll admit I had sort of very little understanding of kind of the legal obligations around adjusting for disability. Um, and in my experience, I would say I think it's uncommon for it to be fully understood. Um, and I think at times I, you know, I'll admit I probably haven't supported people as well as I would have liked. So I don't really mean it from a blaming perspective, just that it's something I think we could kind of learn more about so with sort of a kind of social justice hat on that kind of became my baby when I was at the university and I focused like a lot of placement site training around that and tried to just make sure it was accounted for um, properly in the course or at least the parts of the course that I had control over um, and I just tried to be an advocate for those students really. And then lastly is my uh, personal experience. So um, I think in hindsight, I would say that I've probably struggled with my mental health kind of throughout my life, but I only really started paying attention to it after I started working at the university. Um, and I was kind of noticing kind of a familiar pattern with how stress and anxiety at work would develop for me, um, which sometimes would lead to burnout. And I think um, in the past, I probably would have just left the job, but I really didn't want to. And I was only six months in and I was really learning, you know, quite learning a lot and kind of enjoying teaching. So I thought, you know, it's probably time that I just kind of go to therapy and, and just fix this. <laughs> and, you know, I'm laughing because um, I very quickly realized that therapy doesn't really fix things as such. 
Um, and I think, you know, because in my case, the difficulties I was having were really related to kind of traumatic experiences that happened in my formative years um, and over quite a long period of time. So, um, and so essentially my brain has kind of shaped differently in response to that Um and I have kind of different neural pathways, different signaling to someone who perhaps experienced kind of feeling more safe and supported during those early years of their life. Um, and so the message in therapy was very much that what I needed to work on was kind of accepting that to some extent I'll always feel like this um, and just kind of learning to ride with that and just live more of a life around it. Um, but also learning to kind of recognize when I am stressed and take those steps to prevent overload. Um, and so that was hard. And I think um, those were probably the worst few years for me. And I kind of had to essentially grieve the idea that I would ever feel like uh, I would ever be able to sort of experience the world in a normal way um, without those old memory pathways being triggered. Um, and again, I just think that's something that's so misunderstood in healthcare and by the public. Um, I think there's a reason why I thought, you know, therapy would fix it and make it go away. Um, and so that kind of really sparked my interest to kind of want to change the narrative a bit and just... Um, find out what I needed to do to help my students on placement and just learn for myself how I can support people better and how and what I need to do to prevent burnout for myself. So this probably isn't actually a, a normal answer, but um, it probably stems from pretty early on um, in my personal life. So um, my mum actually is a, is a mental health project manager and has worked in the field for of mental health for more than 20 years and um, she's actually retiring today which is amazing um, but generally it's it's always been very normal for us to kind of talk about mental health um, as a result at home um, and, and you know that kind of everyday conversation about how you're feeling and, and things like that um, I also kind of grew up around quite a lot of adverse mental health. Um, so I had grandparents um, who had um, dementia. Um, I, um, one of my family members ha had a, has an eating disorder currently. Um, so um, it, it's always been very present, I think, in, in my life as a result. Um, aside from that outside of my personal life, um, I, I've spent the majority of my career so far working with patients with longer term conditions. So their surgical patients, um, gastroenterology patients, critical care patients where mental health adversities are really common. Um, so I've been exposed to them pretty early on in my career to maybe be able to recognise issues and be able to deal with them quickly and effectively. Um, I've also always worked in the acute setting. I've never actually worked anywhere else. Um, some people um, might have different opinions on that, but it's always been who I am. Um, but for a lot of people, it seems to kind of be an area where... Um, dietitians kind of sink or swim if that makes sense it seems to be a sink or swim area in the dietetics world and, and I don't mean any disrespect with that um you know it, it's just that some people uh, well actually a lot of people they, they start their professions in the acute setting and they quickly move on because they struggle to keep up with the pace or the caseload requirements um or some people just really dislike it and want to move on um but I've seen a lot of people struggle um, in the area that I work in and I've always been really aware of it and I've always wanted to kind of play my part in trying to retain staff in the acute setting and just as a bit of a disclaimer because I'm sure there are people listening thinking who the heck is this person and um, 
and what does she know? So I'm a completely normal person. I'm a normal dietitian. I'm not a mental health specialist dietitian at all. Um, I have occasional struggles like everybody else. Um, I just feel that it's completely normal to kind of have peaks and troughs from a mental health perspective. And I'm not exempt from that at all. I have times where I work late often, miss lunch, focus on other people's worries rather than my own, like a lot of people do. Um, but I recognise those behaviours and verbalise them often. So I think that's maybe where I'm potentially slightly different. Um, and I'm really lucky that I've got an amazing team who recognise those verbal cues and support me like I support them. I think that's really reassuring to hear, Holly, because I'm sure lots of people can relate to what you said. It has been no one's perfect and we've all experienced varying struggles with our mental health, I'm sure, over the past year in particular. And it's great to hear that you're a real advocate for good mental health at work. So my question to you is, why is good mental health at work important for dietitians? To be honest, I think that just general good health at work um, is important. And obviously, physical and mental health have an effect on each other. Um, so specifically, when thinking about mental health, obviously, good mental health can affect concentration levels in um, in a good way um, and might reduce any kind of costly mistakes or accidents at work, which can be actually beneficial to physical health long term. Um, also, good mental health um, can increase morale at work, so it can uh, increase engagement, team building, team rapport, patient rapport as well. Um, it can increase job satisfaction and fulfilment and like a sense of purpose and achievement um, and for the from an organizational perspective as well it can increase kind of employee pro- productivity and can reduce absenteeism and um, which basically means you know that, that actually there's um there's there's more staff in work to be able to to function well and function as a team so there's a real need to be focusing and putting the spotlight on improving employees mental health and well-being at work particularly in the nhs i feel like um when you're at work and your mental health is good, we generally get the most most from ourselves and most from from people. Um, I had a discussion um, with my team as well, and that if we all feel well in ourselves physically and mentally, we sort of bounce off each other and we work really well. And we think that that um, sort of reflects onto our patients and and their outcomes. Um, and if, from our sort of you know management point of view as well that, you know, staff are more productive, there's less sick leave, um, and there's a really good morale in the team. And I do think that combining all those together, um, we can provide a really, really high quality care for our patients as well. Um, I'm just wondering um, how you've used your personal experience specifically to to help students and why you think it's important for student dietitians, but also qualified dietitians, to have good mental health and be having these conversations at work as well as in their personal lives? I think in terms of using my personal experience, I think I have tried to share things where I felt comfortable too. And I think it's obviously a very personal journey to kind of go through and you can't always share everything but I have tried to talk about some of the struggles and I think as soon as somebody is talking about the struggles people are hearing that they can talk about the struggles um so that makes it a bit easier for people to do that I also think that because I've been on the other side of having people know something about me and make lots of assumptions I don't do that because I know what it feels like so it's given me you know it's been a massive 
strength, I think, that I've been able to sit with people and hear their experience and not have it cloud what I think of their, their abilities or what I think of them as a person. Um, in terms of why mental health is important, I think we spend so much of our time at work. Um, and so if we're unhappy or we're overburdened, I think it has a huge impact on our lives and just our sort of overall mental health. And then equally, I think sometimes if we're having challenges outside of work, um, that can really um, impact the work that we're doing as well. Um, one of the things I hear all the time, particularly in dietetics, actually, is that um, sort of professionalism means kind of leaving home at home when you get to work. And, you know, honestly, I kind of think that's nonsense. <laughs> Um, so, you know, even though I've definitely sometimes hidden how I feel and, and I think to some extent it was necessary, um, but I think there's a big difference between kind of putting on your game face to go and see a patient and having to hide how you're feeling from all of your colleagues for sort of long periods of time. Um, and I don't think that's really a normal place to be or a healthy thing to be encouraging. Um I think just kind of feeling part of a community at work makes a big difference. So sort of feeling like people care about each other. Um, but also it's important because we know from some of the psychological research, so like um, Dr. Mark Brackett's work, um, that how we feel really impacts everything we do. So generally speaking, for most people, if you feel bad, it will kind of come out in your behavior. So that might be by, it might be by withdrawing from your work a bit, a bit of lack of motivation. Sometimes it might be needing more time off sick. Sometimes that might be time off sick for physical illnesses that are actually being caused by poor mental health. Um, or it might be in some instances by acting out. So it might be taking stress out on other people. Um, or it might even be just not showing up, so not feeling comfortable to offer what you have to offer in the workplace. Um, and I think in that situation, really everybody loses. Um, and then from the student perspective, I think it definitely has a huge impact um, on a student's ability to take in and retain information and just confidence in communicating with supervisors. Um, and that sometimes changes a bit in mental illness and actually not in the way you might think. Um, so I think many people who struggle with mental illness are really, really good at kind of masking how they feel and overcompensating for it. So often they've had, you know, literally decades of training um, in their formative years to be able to do that. And so it's actually partly a strength. Um, but what it means is that the impact on those people will tend to be on their lives outside of work, um, which is obviously also a huge problem for their general health and well-being. Um, but it's sometimes hidden a bit more and sort of offered a lot less support than, than people who maybe develop some problematic behavior in the workplace in response to their emotions. Um, so basically, I kind of think if we can help people feel more supported at work and just be more in touch with how people are feeling, we can kind of work together to solve problems sooner and end up with a more productive environment where everyone can just do their best to work to support patient care or kind of deliver any other parts of their role. 
Thank you for sharing that. And it, it's disappointing to hear that you did experience people making uh, incorrect assumptions based on your mental health. I'm, I'm feeling that might be a, a reason why some people are reluctant to open up about their mental health to employers and, and colleagues. Do you have any advice to share um, on how to handle that? Because obviously, if you're not feeling your best mentally and then you have to deal with the additional stresses of assumptions and, and things, how did you deal with that personally? Gosh, I would say with much difficulty, I did find it very challenging um, to deal with those things as, as they came up. I think I just had to keep having conversations. I had to I had to kind of take time away sometimes and think through what had happened and then go back to the situation. Um, I wouldn't say that I addressed all of it, which I'm not really proud of, but I think at the time I just wasn't feeling kind of strong enough to do that I think as you say it's like you put yourself in a vulnerable place saying something's happening and then um and then if people are you know I don't know some of the things it was maybe assuming if I was having a disagreement with somebody where you know in the past I think they might have thought oh you know maybe something's going on you know is there anything I've done is that you know it might have been more of a two-way conversation I think suddenly it was like well that's your mental health and it's like hold on a second I still am a person and have a personality and I still am going to have a normal human reaction if you're treating me badly so it was kind of that that side of things really that was difficult. And from your um, experience over the past year, what sort of impact do you think COVID has had on dietitians' mental well-being? Oh, that's a, that, that's a question. <laughs> um, I would be lying if I said that, it, it, you know, it, it's been anything but kind of negative, really. It, it's, it's not been a great time for a lot of us. Um, for me, it's been negative in the way that it's just been relentless and really hard hitting um, and because I work in the acute setting, it's highlighted even more so some of the issues with acute care. So um, we already knew those issues to begin with, um, but things like increased bed numbers, increased patient numbers, and the need for escalation areas like we've never known before. Um, so it, it's affected kind of staffing levels and um, and all kinds of things, really. Um, and there also has been at times a lack of consideration for allied health um, professionals' input at times. So, um, you know, obviously dietetics is a part of that. And again, not, not meaning to put a kind of negative spin on that, but I think it's always been there. I just think that COVID has, has maybe highlighted it more. So, for example, um, I know a lot of places have it, have a kind of, um, created escalation areas and they've considered kind of nurses and doctors but they've maybe not considered dietetic input or physio input you know OT the whole lot really um so there's that um in the first wave um and I think this is probably the case for England and Wales obviously I'm based in, in Wales um, but in the first wave there was kind of a succession of kind of non-essential services um and when I when I call them non-essential services I actually don't think that they're non-essential at all but they're just um they they use the term what they actually mean is services that are deemed less priority so when you look at priority you look at acute settings so in the area that i work in in my kind of department are uh, we have an, an acute referral kind of criteria and we have um for any patients who get referred into us and who are who meet that criteria and are appropriate we have 72 working hours to see those patients in other services in dietetics so for example 
public health um, or community, they have up to eight weeks. So that's what they mean kind of by, it's more the time period that they have to see the patients. Um, so in the first wave, we had um, some redeployment because we were able to have that redeployment um, to help with the higher priority services like acute. Um, but actually, when you think about that, that in itself had some positive points and some negative points. It involved a lot of training for the individuals already in those areas. Um, but obviously, these people were helping us out and it was great longer term. Um, but it was also a lot of stress and anxiety for the people having to be kind of retrained. So you think about um, people in my department, we had people who were public health dietitians and they had to have additional training to kind of bring them into community and oncology to kind of help with, um, you know, with the potential increased demand. Um, and as I said before, you know, it, acute is kind of like a, a, and community in a lot of ways, is a kind of a, a sink or swim kind of environment for a lot of people. So a lot of public health dietitians probably at one point escaped the acute setting because they didn't like it. So then com them coming back into the area is, I can't even imagine it, if I'm honest, it must have been really stressful for them. Um, also in the first wave, we had lots of additional preparation work. So we had um, we had a field hospital. So we had all the work behind that. And um, we had kind of unthinkable, unthinkable things really going on. So um, we had to plan for what do we do if we run out of enteral feeding pumps? And um, what do we do if the demand for patients is is massive? And we like in my department, we only have 3.4 whole time equivalent acute dietitians. So what do we do if, you know, if we have all of a sudden 200 patients being referred to us, that's always going to be uh, a kind of a problem. So we had to um, develop COVID protocols, which obviously takes a lot of work. In the subsequent waves, the redeployment didn't happen, um, and particularly with, within dietetics, because the services that were deemed less priority no longer deemed that way. Um, so services were just expected to resume. So obviously that then had an increased pressure for kind of acute and critical care staff generally, because the people that we called on before, we could no longer call on. Um, and also for the people who were retrained and redeployed, they felt quite guilty that they then couldn't help again a second time. Um, and obviously, as I've said, we, we've always had pretty low numbers of acute staff anyway. You add in isolation and sickness, you know, not just from COVID, but from any illness, because obviously it's not just COVID that we're talking about. It's really stressful for a lot of people. And for me, I've actually had to isolate twice um, in the last kind of like six months. And the, I was working from home as a critical care dietitian really difficult um the guilt of wanting to be in the office but not being able to be there really real for me um the smaller issues that were issues before covid became really apparent and became bigger issues so for us we um didn't actually have that much office space it has always been a problem and then you add in kind of social distancing and people kind of go went a little bit crazy about office space because we didn't have much before and now we've got even less. Um, so that, again, was a real a real issue. From an acute perspective, um, I've really found that kind of my acute anxieties have been heightened because you just never really knew what you were walking into. Um, with COVID, you would have days where literally things were kind of calm. You'd have other days where things were just really manic and you wouldn't have any staff. Um, for me, the biggest thing is it's patient death numbers. Um, and I think that will probably impact healthcare professionals for a really long time to come. Um, especially, you know, dietitians working in acute and critical care. Um, I have seen lots and lots of 
people die, um, maybe not firsthand, but you remember your patients and you get to know them. Um, and so when death is so vast like this, you can't help but wonder if you could have been, you could have done more because you've been spread so thinly um, that you know that you've done the best you can, but you wonder because there's so few of you, whether actually if there were more of you, you could have done a better job. Um, and remember as well, let's not forget that we're not just dietitians, we're people with personal lives, families and stresses outside of work. So you've got all that to kind of contend with alongside all that stuff. From a positive point of view, though, I don't want to be all kind of doom and gloom about it. There have been some positives, um, probably in the way that we've explored options that we've never really explored before. So things like virtual clinics and groups, for example. For me in critical care, it was really the simple things. So in the first wave, um, there were real issues from a PPE point of view. Um, and I wasn't always able to go into red areas despite wanting to. Um, so I actually, um, a really simple thing of, of the, the kind of admin team in critical care, they sent me the critical care handovers in an email um, so I could prioritise my kind of caseload on my work that day. Small little things like that. Um, I've also experienced just a massive amount of togetherness in my critical care team and also within my immediate dietetic team, which I know not everybody has, but I think I'm just really fortunate um, to have that. And the fact that actually in a lot of ways, COVID has probably brought us closer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, um, as dietitians, we do have a real important role, but I think from from my experience that COVID-19 has impacted so many, you know, every health professional um, really, but within our team, we are sort of, we are a really social team. So we like to have sort of team meetings. Um, I think we're like any other um, dietetic department, any excuse for the buffet. You know, we love to get together and have do social outings, especially for new members of staff. Um, so we have really struggled with that isolation and not seeing people. Um and there could be some days where you haven't spoken to anyone but patients and in mental health, you know, we do hear lots of um, really upsetting things. And it's really nice to offload to someone before you go home. Um, so I think that that's been a struggle as well. Um, and that we as dietitians really rely on sort of non-verbal communication and cues. And we like to visually assess our patients so it can make your your role quite challenging um, and you feel like you might not be, you know, um, you feel like you might not be doing as a good quality of, of an assessment as you can, but really we were limited during COVID-19. How much time do you have? <laughs> I, I, I think the impact has been huge. Um, and I've observed that it's kind of really altered across the pandemic. So I think at the beginning, I was kind of hearing a lot of anxiety, understandably really about, you know, having to go into work in a clinical environment, which I didn't have to do. And at the time, I was thankful not to have to, have to do that. And I thought, you know, everybody that did have to go into a hospital or a, a clinic every day was so brave to have to do that at the time. Um, and I think in the news, we were seeing like a lot of younger healthcare professionals kind of losing their lives to COVID, which was really sad and I'm sure really stressful for people in that position. Um, 
there were lots of dietitians kind of being redeployed and I think people were worried about their families. Definitely a lot of students thinking about going into placement were thinking, what if I bring something home to my elderly family members? Um, and then I think there were just kind of a lot of unknowns and that made it really stressful. So I think dietitians also sometimes felt a bit less supported than other health professionals. So because our family and friends don't necessarily kind of see us as being on the front line all the time as much as we would like them um, to understand what we do. So it was kind of that constant struggle of just trying to explain sort of why you're worried and why what you're doing is important and you can't just all be working from home, um, which I think sometimes family members might have thought you could. Um, and so COVID just really highlighted some of those pre-existing issues, I think. Um, but then in some roles like mine, we kind of switched to working from home very suddenly. And I think everyone kind of throughout dietetics really had to adapt. Uh, a lot of the ways that we work and there was there were other challenges coming in like some people had childcare that they were trying to do alongside work or there was lots of staff sickness and people having to self-isolate so um, you know the staffing wasn't as good as normal um, and so we were all kind of on this huge learning curve and had a lot of health anxiety and life anxiety um, but at the same time, I think a lot of our usual coping mechanisms were taken away or kind of reduced. Um, so, for example, um, Emily and Amelia Nagoski talk in their book about the importance of kind of a physical switch off from stress. Um, and I think when you're traveling to and from work, you do have some benefit in terms of switching into an out of work mode, which maybe we hadn't even noticed that much before. Um, and then another thing I think that helps us manage stress is kind of the degree of control we have over it. And we didn't really have, or I think most of us felt we didn't have any control at all um, over the situation. Um, but also kind of in terms of self-care, I think a lot of us definitely, I was realizing that a lot of my fun was kind of non-essential um, so suddenly sort of everything was cancelled and people were a bit unsure what to replace it with so you know you would take annual leave but it's not really the same because you're not really able to fill your cup in the same way you would when you're doing kind of some fun things during that time. I'm just wondering what sort of support you found to be available to dietitians, particularly since the pandemic, in terms of supporting mental health, whether that's through your own hospital trust or perhaps at a wider level, such as through the British Dietetic Association. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think that mental health generally and well-being has probably been an increased topic of conversation within the NHS for quite some time. Um, so, in my department, we've kind of considered um, high levels of supervision um, compared to previously. Um, obviously, COVID has created an additional layer um, in that obviously a lot of people might have to kind of socially distance or not be in the office. You know, there's been a lot of that kind of stuff. So it feels maybe like um, we haven't been able to talk about it as much um, or maybe we've kept our feelings in. I'm not too sure. Um Obviously, there is the typical stuff of occupational health. So I know a lot of people generally feel like uh, being referred to occupational health is a bad thing. You know, the conversations I have, people say to me, I don't want to be referred to occupational health. I'm not that bad. Um, but actually, every time I've contacted them, um, 
they've always been really informative and really helpful and they've really not judged me at all um and they, they've just wanted to try and help me um so for anyone out there who kind of thinks that they're not useful give them a ring and actually you can self-refer into a lot of these services now um so i found it really useful um just for a confidential ear um We've also kind of developed things kind of like um, at a team lead level. So we've had things like um, peer supervision. We've had um, team lead meetings. Um, and we've also kind of really stressed the importance of individual and team stress risk assessments. So they've always been kind of around. Um, but the idea of them is to really kind of think about yourself and think about your team, think about the current stresses um, and things that you can do as an individual or as a team, or maybe to highlight to management what needs to be done to help. Um, and they can literally be redone at any point when, when things change. So I found them really useful for myself. Um, there also have been some kind of well-being services. So as far as I'm aware, now they might have existed at some point prior to COVID. I wasn't aware of them. Um, so um, when kind of COVID started, um, our kind of, um, not department, our organisation um, kind of helped to develop a well-being service. So kind of involved really just a safe space to just kind of go out, have a, have a bit of a chat with someone, have a cup of tea, have a couple of minutes just to sit and reflect on things, which I found really useful. Um, they've actually, they actually stopped it for a time where I was because things were calming down. Um, because obviously when you think about it, they have to be, they have to be funded. So they have been funded. Um, but there is probably a need for, for longer term funding for stuff like that. Um, and in, in my area that I work in, in critical care, um, we have been really fortunate. I know not everybody kind of gets this. And I, you know, first, it's still very new, but we have a, um, a clinical psychologist um, who has provided some really invaluable kind of input, not only just for critical care patients, but also to support staff. So I'm a part of that. So I feel really kind of able to ask to talk to her at any point, which is really, really useful. So in our trust, we um, were all sort of geared up from the telehealth side. So we all have our own sort of laptops and, and mobiles. So we were really geared up to do that already. But so even at lunch times, if we were working at home, we would set up like a lunch and natter so we could just check in on each other. Um, we were, instead of doing phone calls to each other, we'd do it over Microsoft Teams. I know people are probably getting a bit tired of things like Microsoft Teams these days, but that does make a difference as well, just trying to see someone. And in our trust, we do have a staff wellbeing bulletin, which was um, sent out to staff quite regularly, just signposting us to helpful resources to look after physical and mental health and contact numbers if we wanted to talk to anyone, which was really good. There was even things like online yoga and find other ways to de-stress. And within our team, our management were really, really good. They set up time where we could just contact them and sort of offload. Um, so that, as I mentioned earlier, we weren't hearing really upsetting stuff and just going home without you know talking about it. And then within our supervision, we do have a section where we just talk about each other's mental health and try to have that really open conversation. Um, so I think that's been really, really helpful. OK, so we've talked a lot about how COVID can has had a negative impact on a lot, lot of our mental health over the past year. 
Do you have any advice for how um, a dietitian could begin a conversation about their own mental health challenges with their employer or, or fellow colleagues? Yeah, I think it's really important that if people are struggling, that they do feel able to kind of reach out um, and have a discussion with colleagues or with their supervisors. Um, I would say, and I would always recommend this to students when they're uh, wanting to talk to somebody about lots of different things, really, is kind of prepare yourself a little bit for the human response. Um, so I think, you know, generally people are empathetic and, you'll, and you will have support in these situations. Um, but I think just kind of being aware that, um, that you might not get exactly the response that you're hoping for. So just thinking about how you're going to take care of yourself, really, while you're having those discussions. Um, I think for someone who needs to talk to a manager about their mental health, I would recommend kind of booking a time if you can. So rather than having an off-the-cuff discussion and just letting them know in advance that you want to discuss your mental health. Um, so I think that will let them be kind of the most prepared that they can to support you. Um, and they'll just have a bit of time to think about uh, sort of in advance about how they want to communicate. Um, and so if they have, you know, we're all human here, if they have any feelings they need to process, they'll have a chance to do that before they're having that discussion um, with you. So you can hopefully have a bit a more productive discussion once you're doing that. Um, I think try to talk about um, the struggles that you're having sooner rather than later because it's easier to kind of to it's easier to take steps to improve the situation if you do it at an early stage rather than if you leave it till it's really become really bad and unmanageable for you. Um, I think. When you're having the discussion, I would always recommend kind of using self-focused language. So kind of focusing on objective information when you're talking about work or if sometimes you might need to talk about um, the behavior of other people. So just kind of explaining what is happening and how it's making you feel. Um, if there's sort of something in your personal life, you might kind of explain what is happening, not necessarily in detail if you don't feel comfortable and just how it's impacting your work um, or how your, in, your work is impacting your home life. And I think the most important thing to do is kind of think beforehand about what you would like to be different, um, what would make things better for you, because I think... Um, you know, sometimes it can be such an overwhelming thing to go to somebody and say that you're struggling, um, but that person is there to help and you're entitled to help. So I think thinking about what types of strategies might make things a bit better for you means you can have that clear discussion in the meeting um, and hopefully come up with some kind of feasible options to make things a bit better for you. Just wondering if there's been any specific initiatives that you've been involved in to support your, your fellow dietitians, whether that's prior to COVID or since the pandemic. Yeah, um, so to be honest, I became um, a mental health um, wellbeing champion um, and an engagement ambassador probably at, this, at a similar kind of time. Um, and it started a few years ago. So 
um, being a wellbeing champion, it was, it kind of started off as really just initiating kind of regular wellbeing sessions within my dietetic department. So it started off as, as more kind of a safe space to talk as a group um, and also to teach about topics typically not taught in university or within the workplace. So, for example... I think I did a session on like leadership styles, mentoring, um, engagement uh, and the need for it and assertiveness, stuff like that. Um, these actually then branched out a little bit um, as kind of allied health professional sessions before COVID hit. So I actually did a session um, where kind of OTs, physios, speech language therapists came as well. It was a, it was a massive session. Um and um, from that, I, I developed kind of a, a well-being work survey. This is, again, a couple of years ago, where the results kind of led to a well-being report for the financial year, just things that we could do as a department, think about a little bit more. So actually, um, probably the best um, example, we were talking about it anyway, um, but as part of the survey, a few of our band fives kind of talked about um, the kind of idealism of rotational jobs. Um, so it led more to the conversation about kind of rotational job aspects for our band fives, which actually we've now implemented in, a, in our department. So it's been really useful. When I became an engagement ambassador, um, it was primarily to improve engagement with our department, which obviously links in well with well-being and mental health pretty well anyway. Um, but as part of this, I've used a process called 3D. So what 3D actually is, so it stands for Discover, Debate and Deliver. And it's basically a, um, it's a session where you have you kind of develop ideas and questions. So it could be, what are the challenges um, in your current workplace? Stuff like that. Um, and you stick different questions on different walls. Your team gets together. They're giving post-it notes and they put their answers anonymously on post-it notes and they post their answers. Um, and then basically it's an anonymous opinion. Um, it leads to a load of theming because a lot of people typically say similar things. So things get themed and then there are action points which are then led by employees rather than management. So it's basically like trying to kind of help yourself and help your team, um, you know, because management at the end of the day, they're brilliant in a lot of ways, but they can't do everything. And also some people feel that they can't talk to management. Um, so it's kind of like a voice and also they can be involved in the action point. So I've always found that really interesting and, and really helpful. Um, in view of my interest in mental health and well-being within dietetics generally, um, I am currently completing a dissertation for my advanced clinical practice master's, um, which is basically a systematic review looking at the prevalence of burnout and adverse subjective well-being within dietitians and dietetic assistants. Um, and I'm hoping that my research might lead to further research opportunities in the future to kind of explore dietetic ideas further around the implementation initiatives needed to improve dietetic well-being in the workplace longer term. But COVID has been a really testing time for everybody, me included. Um, and obviously, because I work in critical care and acute, um, my clinical responsibilities have gone up significantly. So I've actually become really acutely more aware of my own time limitations. And I probably recognise now more than ever, ever before really, that I can't do it all on my own, even though I still sometimes really, really want to try to. It's just not always possible. Um, so I think our department conversations and prioritisation previously around the topic of well-being and engagement has facilitated probably a really great team dynamic and rapport. So 
in view of this, some members of, of my team actually took it upon themselves during COVID to just instigate wellbeing practices in the department and themselves without really involving me because they could see the stresses that I was under. So they just took it upon themselves to do it themselves. And I think that's actually the sustainability of that. I think it's really great. Um, and obviously, I very much supported that Um because I recognise I can't do it myself. Um, so they've ranged from really small things to, uh, for example, um, playing quizzes virtually in our lunch breaks to um, um, almost having kind of initiating kind of short social distance dancing and aerobic sessions again outside in, in our lunch breaks. So it's just been something a little bit different just to keep the togetherness there. Given that you and your colleagues work in the area of mental health, is it something that yourself and your colleagues are, are fairly open to discussing when it comes to your own mental well-being? Or do you think that there needs to be more um, done in order to promote dietitians talking about their mental well-being? I generally think our team, I think I'm a bit biased. We, we are really good because we're the mental health, that we have that sort of heightened awareness um, and we do get put through things like resilience training. Um, but again, I think from experience, like mental health doesn't discriminate. So sometimes you can be the most resilient person, have a supportive network, but um, and your mental health can still suffer. Um, but I do think that um, within our trust, in particular within our team, we, we're more... <laughs> relaxed and more um sort of prepared for those those conversations um so it's a really good great team to work for i'm really curious to hear more about what your resilience training involves can you tell us a bit more about that Mm -hmm. so in the resilience training i think it's one of the top trainings we get advice to when we we start in um mental health so in resilience training it gives you sort of um, techniques and strategies to become more resilient and also things encourages people to to um, talk to management and, and safeguarding um, if they feel like they need to talk something through. I think resilience training is really important because all the work we do is so is confidential. Um, so we need that safe, confidential place within our trust to be able to, to talk about these matters. So how how can we begin a conversation with a colleague if we're concerned about their mental health? Do you have any top tips or suggestions? Mm-hmm. So I do think, again, sort of from experience, it needs to be in a space where you feel comfortable and you don't there's no risk of any interruption. I think sometimes when you ask, are asked how you are, sometimes it's a passing comment or someone's on the way to somewhere or it's at a time where, you know, you've got a patient coming in in 10 minutes, you know, for example. And that's why we bring that up in sort of supervision because that is your time to talk. Because I think when your mental health is, you know, is poor, it, that question, it can take you... A bit of time to answer. You just need to um, be given that time in the space. So I do think that that's sort of one of my my top tips. And it's generally even in, when you're emailing people asking how they are, you know, how's their day been? Did they have a good weekend? Um, and really just checking in on people and remembering that everyone's going through their own 
their their own situation. So being kind and compassionate and treating people how you want to be treated, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's a great point you raised about um, the time and place that you're asking someone how they mm-hmm. are because so many dietitians are so busy um, yeah. and, and rushing about. So you can imagine lots of people saying, oh, I'm fine, just because <laughs> they're running to the next job. Um, as I said before, I think I'm really fortunate that many of the people I work with, I consider to be friends. So as a result of that, it's really common to kind of verbalise our concerns with each other to help support each other. So me personally, when I have a bad week, I will typically work late or I might miss my lunch that's really common and my colleagues will typically say to me Holly you haven't had lunch are you going to yes (laughs) something like that Um, they'll make me really aware of my behaviors and for me it prompts change although I'll be honest it it might not be straight away those changes might not be straight away Um, but maybe at the end of the week when I've had a bad week I'll think to myself oh um, Sam told me five times this week that I needed to have my lunch Next week is going to be a better week. Um, so I'm really aware that a lot of people feel like verbalisation of their concerns might be considered a weakness. So just to reiterate, it really isn't. It's really normal. It's very human. keeps us in check of our emotions and our behaviours. But I find that building a team dynamic and rapport is probably the first step in trusting each other. Um, and probably small daily questions like how are you doing or even prompts when you notice certain things so for me as I just said and you know people not taking their lunch like I get a lot you know Holly you're gonna have your lunch Um, statements as well because sometimes some people might feel just awkward about asking questions so just short sweeping statements like I'm here if you need to talk it doesn't expand on anything but it lets people know that you're supporting them Um, and I think that generally making time for people and also having allowed dedicated time to talk about our concerns within our teams is really useful and really helpful. Absolutely. And it's great to hear that your fellow colleagues are looking out for one another. It's never been more important than now, I think. And what do you think more needs to be done within dietetics to better support the mental health of fellow dietitians? I think at the moment there's quite a lot of discussion sort of about authenticity. And I think that's really important for mental health. Um, So I think... (sighs) You know, I think as someone from a working class background, I've definitely been told that some things are unprofessional that are maybe just my personality and upbringing. So, and I've kind of changed some of those things to try to fit in. So, for example, I think, you know, I think some of my colleagues would say I'm too direct in my communication, um, which I think part of that is just being Australian. Um, but I have softened it a lot. And I think sometimes, you know, direct communication can be effective as well. So it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's just a different way um, of working. Um, and I know there's a much bigger issue there kind of in terms of cultural differences and disabilities too. Um, and I've seen that working within placement. So I think sometimes um, we can get trapped in kind of what we want a dietitian to be like and we forget that different people work better with different populations and kind of bring different things to the team. Um, so, for example, I've made, I've worked with some students who have been told they are maybe a bit too quiet and need to be kind of more chirpy and enthusiastic but actually they're just quiet and there isn't anything wrong with that and I think some teams are so welcoming to having those different personality types but I think if you are in a situation where somebody's telling you 
um, that just the way you are as a person um, is wrong, then that's going to have kind of a big impact on mental health. Um, so I think we need to keep having discussions just about um, diversity and inclusion and how we make sure everyone kind of feels welcome within dietetics. Um, I think we could also take some steps to kind of raise awareness about mental health and just kind of reduce the stigma of talking about about it. So um, part of this, and again, it's Dr. Brackett who's done a lot of work around this, is kind of creating a culture where people kind of have a sense of permission to feel. Um, so essentially having leaders model behavior in just sharing their emotions so other people feel more able to. Um, so it might be kind of discussing challenges you faced or even that you're facing and how that's made you feel. Um, it might be talking about mental health on social media or it might be being open about accessing therapy. Um, it might be supporting others to kind of open up and create a helpful nar narrative in the office. Um, and what you're really trying to do when you're doing that is normalize that discussion. Um, so it's important that you aren't kind of you know, whispering secretly, like, I sometimes go to therapy, um, as though it's something to be ashamed of. But you might just be casually mentioning, you know, once in therapy, I had this discussion and I found it helpful or, you know, hey, I'm just off to therapy now, kind of like you would if you were going to the gym. Um, all of these things are hard to do because it's kind of scary to sit with that vulnerability and show your, vulnerab your vulnerability to other people. But I think it makes a big difference in helping people have all of the kinds of difficult conversations that we need to have in productive work environments. Just a, a quick question on that. Why do you think there is still a stigma in healthcare? Because as healthcare professionals, we are often, you know, having conversations with patients and trying to support their physical and mental health. So why is there a stigma amongst healthcare professionals themselves? Why don't we practice what we preach as such? <laughs> oh gosh, I think that's such a difficult <laughs> question. I, yeah, absolutely. I think as healthcare professionals, there really shouldn't be. Um, I think a lot of it is it's societal. It's the things that people say um, about, you know, mental health conditions. I know, you know, certainly when I started talking about my mental health, one of the first things that that people were saying was, oh, I'm so shocked or I don't, you know, I never would have guessed that. And I'm like, but you get by saying that, I get that it's a compliment, but, you're, but what you're kind of saying is that, that this would make me incompetent, which, which isn't really true. I think there's just a lot of assumption um, rather than, I think we kind of need to be acknowledging that actually these things, obviously to different extents, but they affect all of us. We all have times where we're struggling with our mental health. And I don't know if we just are in a bit of denial about that. Um, and we just don't want to be as vulnerable um, to admit that. Yeah, and I think mental health looks uh, so different for different people. And perhaps some people have this um, fixated idea of what they think a person with depression is going to look like, for example. And, and like yeah. you said, it, you know, they can be invisible conditions. Um, and that doesn't affect who you are as a person at all. And nor should you be judged in that way just because you're, you're going through something that's difficult. I think 
there's always more that can be done. Um, as I've said before, I think obviously having that dedicated time to talk can be really difficult because um, we're so busy. Um, but I just think it's a fundamental, really, especially now. So whether it be through wellbeing sessions like I've kind of initiated or having regular team meetings um, or even just you know, having management support with things like team building exercises, um, even if they're virtual, I know they're not ideal, you know, you'd much rather be in a room all together. But if that can't happen, just being able to have the time together to talk, I find just think I just think it's it's really needed now more than ever. I also think there's probably um need for dedicated research to identify concerns within dietetics in particular about how those concerns could be minimized in the future. So there's a lot of research already um about kind of burnout and and adverse well-being in doctors, nurses, more so now in also physios and other bigger kind of allied health professional groups. But in terms of dietetics, there's still very little. Um so I just think that the fact that there isn't that much research um for me, we need more of it uh, and we need to identify actually what the problems are before then we can fix them. Um, obviously, you know, we could always do with just further recognition and verbalisation from higher up. So in any organisation that you work in, that everybody has struggles at some point. Very normal. Um and obviously, you know, the dynamic of your team and the culture of your organisation, it starts from the top. So, you know, if you've got management saying, how are you doing? How are you feeling? It encourages people then lower down to, to also have those same values. And um, for me, I found that just an early introduction of mentoring and coaching. And again, those kind of stress risk assessments that I talked about, really useful. And, and for kind of our acute dietitians out there, I think regular caseload reviews and strategies to minimise maybe overwork. So um, maybe kind of the initiation of pathways or seeking regular support from seniors, that might really help people. I think for good sort of mental health um, at work, particularly for dietitians, it's good to for people to have an awareness of what your role is and have an appreciation for your role. Um, I think um, a lot of dietitians would agree um, things are getting better, but because we are such a small resource, um, sometimes people don't realise what our role is and the role that we play and the, the good work that we do. So I feel like as dietitians ourselves, we need to continue to know promote that role for dietitian um, it's nice to see so many dietitians on social media now you know trying to get their voice heard that's really good um, and generally just you know let letting people know our our worth within the the health team um, and I think it's a, a joke between our team as well um, that sometimes our families don't really understand what we do um, and the hard work that we do. And sometimes we can bring that that back home. Um, so I think that that would be really helpful. Yeah. So continuing to champion dietetics and increase awareness mm-hmm. of the important work that we do. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and what do you think are some of the, the common issues that dietitians are facing at work in relation to their mental health, you know, at the moment, but also prior to COVID? Mm, so in terms of our mental health I think it's like any any job it's that work-life balance and managing sort of large caseloads with with limited resources and I think particularly 
not all dietitians, but a lot of dietitians work in the NHS. You do give a lot of yourself and a lot of your time. Um, and sometimes you feel guilty for, you know, we, we're really good at telling our patients to look after themselves, but sometimes we're not very good at taking on that advice ourselves. So I do think that's, that's generally a, um, a challenge. And if you could speak to a dietetic manager, for example, someone who's overseeing the, the well-being of their fellow staff, um, what would you encourage them to do to better support the, the mental well-being of their, their fellow dietitians? A big one for me was um, flexible working and flexibility and having the opportunities to pursue other things outside my normal role so for example I went and trained became a personal trainer um, because that's something I was passionate about Um, I you know I love learning so I think you know over Covid I've enrolled in so many webinars and and things like everyone else and um, if you're wanting to pursue something want to study something you want to go for a course having a management team that really support that and support you to, in your studies and to further develop yourself. I think that's um, a real positive. Um, and also having that that space, having that, that time set out where you can reach out to management and talk about any issues or concerns that you're having before things spiral sort of out of control and you become really unwell. Um I think those those are two really um, key points. I just want to kind of mention that I think that actually a lot of the time, I think workplaces do what they can with what they have. And I think people probably think very differently to me on that. Um, I think that a lot of workplaces would probably do more if they had designated funding um, for mental health and well-being initiatives. And I also think that they'd probably try and do more if we told them what we needed. And I think, as I said before, I think we've we've typically place this stigma on mental health, not just in dietetics, just generally, that it makes us just really cautious about talking um, because we think it's going to be held against us. Um, So I would say that early and continued recognition um, in acute services, that probably there's always work to be done. Um, And sometimes things just have to wait. And, and having that management support with that, you know, I've joked so many times that I could keep a sleeping bag into my desk because literally the work is just so continuous. And it's something that I've never, I've never been taught about how to deal with it ever in my career. It's something that I've always just had to learn along the way and something which I still struggle with. Um, I've not been doing this for 10 years, so I can only imagine how kind of newer graduates kind of feel. Um, and I think we, we mask problems if we try and do it all and we don't talk to people. Um, I also think that we need to recognise what we need. Um, so to minimise the kind of adverse mental health at work, everybody is different. So what works for me or what I need will be very different to what other people need. So it's really important to speak up. Um, I would say, just because obviously I've experienced this myself, if you feel like you overwork a lot um, to escalate to seniors for support, and a lot of times that there actually is probably something that can be done from a management perspective. And there also may be things that we can do as dietitians to change. I think sometimes we get ourselves just in a bit of a rut. And then by the time we've spoken out about it, um, when someone else hears that that concern, they say, oh, have you thought about doing this? And you never actually have because you've never taken the time to think about it. Um, so 
being open to supportive and helpful ideas. That's probably my, my top tip. Um, obviously, supervision. Um, we, I think as just in the NHS anyway, we typically get quite regular supervision. So I think people typically get, you know, three monthly supervision. People forget, though, that actually we can ask for more if we want it. Um, so, you know, you can have monthly supervision if that's what you need and what you, and what you want. Um, the things like mentoring, again, just somebody a bit more removed from kind of management um, who can who can just listen um, and who necessarily won't give you advice, just just to take in kind of conversation and again that peer supervision so that people at the same level can can ask the questions of okay what did you do with this patient or would you do things differently um i also think there probably just needs to be more routine in well-being recognition i think we typically you know see it as a documentation exercise when actually it should just be a day-to-day thing um and again I, i think if there was one thing I would like my own trust to do, um, and they started doing this a little bit, but um, kind of key workshops to kind of maximise key skills. So, for example, like self-care, stuff like that. Um, and as I say, they've started doing it in my trust, but I think it probably just needs to be more regular. So my, my final question to you, Dorothy, is in an ideal world, you know, if NHS funding was freely available, what would you put in place to better support the mental health of dietitians in the UK? You know, I think um, proper equity training, I think, is expensive and it takes time and kind of safe spaces to just kind of explore people's feelings and have those difficult conversations but I think we really need it um I think that equity training along with kind of maybe some trauma awareness um would help both our working relationships and then also our patient care as well um I think sadly some of the kind of TikTok online training with some sort of key messages. It's not really enough to tackle those underlying beliefs um, and the stigma that's there. And unfortunately, I think probably the people that need the training the most are maybe the less li- the least likely to be seeking that out on their own. Um, I also think having some budget and just time really to foster team relationships is really important. Um, or sometimes it's even just making the effort. So I think it really makes such a difference if you get to know your colleagues a bit outside of work, especially if you're then going to feel comfortable kind of talking to them about struggles that you're having. Um, I think in some environments that works really well. And I've definitely had some sort of great friendships that I've built at work Um, and then in some environments it's really hard and unless the team is kind of doing it themselves um, which kind of requires at least one person to be quite brave in organizing everything um, there isn't really that infrastructure to facilitate it so I would kind of prefer that 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 was something that was kind of brought to the forefront um, in terms of managing teams I think the biggest impact, um, I'm sure I'm not the only one that has thought this, would come from reduced workload pressures. Um, And I think that would help in in different ways. So I think it would kind of give space for flexibility in workloads where it's needed. So people would kind of be more likely to accept that, for example, maybe someone works a bit more slowly because they have a disability, for example, or it might also open up 
a bit of potential for having those meaningful kind of coaching and support conversations between managers and staff that I think particularly when someone's struggling with mental health are important. Um, but those things only happen with time. And I think sometimes they're pushed to the back, back burner when time is really tight. Um, and so... <sighs> They kind of, but they kind of create a lot of productivity as well and just help with the retention of staff. So I think all of these things save time in the long term. So I guess overall, I think we just need to be thinking a bit more strategically in the way that we foster work cultures to, to better support mental health. Um, so the obvious thing is obviously more money. <laughs> um, so obviously, as I said before, you know, in acute and, and secondary care dietetics, um, we're very few in number. Um, and I think a lot of the issues in, in regards to kind of well-being and adverse mental health probably stems back to um, increased kind of workloads and things like that. So obviously, if there were more of us, we could reduce that burden on other people particularly because I think now I think probably 10 years ago there were probably quite a lot of band sixes and band sevens and not that many band fives now I think we've probably kind of switched that on its head a little bit and we've got more band fives and we've got significantly less band sixes and band sevens but I think we we definitely need those specialisms particularly in acute care so um surgical dietitians gastroenterology dietitians more critical care dietitians that'd be lovely um and and obviously designated mental health dietitians um Mental health dietitians have always been a thing, um, but I, I, even I've noticed recently the number of jobs and, and the number of referrals for mental health um, in patients has just been significantly increased. And actually, those jobs um, are starting to come out now. So we need more of more people doing that that kind of job. Um, and obviously, you know, it, it, more dietitians, especially when you think about escalation areas. Um, those escalation areas at the moment for a lot of us are probably still open because we're not sure what's going to happen. We're hopeful that things are going to calm down. Um, but it, in some conversations, there is a there is a typical trend of, OK, well, you coped well with 24 critical care beds. Um, even though you're only funded for, say, 13 or 14, we're going to go down the middle and say 16, even though you're not commissioned. So. And there is the potential for that. Um, so obviously, you know, if there's going to be an increased acute capacity like that, we'll need more acute dietitians to be able to cover that work. And as well, there's been a lot of kind of conversation about kind of seven day working for us as an, uh, as an acute dietetic team at the moment. That's just and we just could, could never do that um, because we've got 3.4 whole time equivalents. So if we were to move to this seven day working, which obviously would be ideal for the patients, we would need a significant um, influx in money. Um, obviously, we, we always need more kind of mental health services and support. Um, uh, so that can include things like, you know, permanent well-being services, like I mentioned before, even outside of COVID that anybody could access, including dietitians. Um, I would also say that, you know, a lot of kind of additional roles that kind of crop up. So for me, you know, the, the well-being champion, the, the engagement ambassador, I do that because I'm passionate about it. But there are a lot of people who aren't passionate about it um, and therefore don't do maybe a good job at it. Um, so I actually think that designated funding for maybe these additional roles that we typically do might be really useful because it kind of weeds out the people who wouldn't be interested in it and will kind of keep the people there to be able to facilitate these, these initiatives longer term. And obviously, if money was no object, I would say regular team building exercises um, or wellbeing events or activities um, 
longer term. Yeah, maybe after COVID, some team away days. <laughs> yes, that'd be lovely. <laughs> so just before we finish, Holly, do you have any anything else you'd like to add or any advice to dietitians listening who are perhaps interested in, um, you know, implementing some of your tips within their own departments? Yeah, um, I, I would say, as I said before, that, you know, in order for wellbeing initiatives to be implemented, it's got to be sustainable. So I, I think I've, I've learned some valuable lessons just along the way that, I can't do everything myself because actually that affects my mental health. Um, you've got to have a really good team. Um, if you don't have a good team, now everybody will say that their team is really great and most of them are, but if you have a lot of team members that aren't that engaged, you probably need to first address why they're not engaged. So looking at some of these 3D principles that, that I've used might be really useful. And I'm obviously happy to share um, all the stuff that, that I've kind of done and, and the questions that I've used in, in that with my own team, if anybody's interested. I think more more dietitians would be great. Um, we do sort of train up students in our trust. And I know that more universities that haven't dietetic courses, which is really good. Um, and they get more experience working in mental health, which again is really good. I'm not sure about um, yourself, but when I was at university, I got very little um mental health experience um so it's a really great area of dietetics um and generally more more resources promoting focusing on the the role of sorry more resources focusing on mental health not just physical health Mm -hmm. um, would be really good um, but the main one from my team was more dietitians, which I think a lot of people would um, empathise with. <laughs> Definitely. I think one of our fellow guests had the same answer as you. Um, and just quickly adding in another question here. Why do you think that physical health is often prioritised over mental health? I think physical health, you can visually see it, can't you? Um, you know, it's like that saying if someone, you know, had a bruise, you'd ask how they got it. But when someone's suffering mentally, um, it's not so easy to identify. Um, and again, sort of from experience, you you can hide it very, very well. You know, around people, you can have be like the happiest, you know, cheeriest person in the world. But at home, you might be a completely different person. So I think that... Um, physical health is just more well understood and I do think there's still a stigma around mental health um, it's something that's very very difficult to to talk about we are getting better I know um, but there's still a lot more work to be done well thank you very much for your time Karen we're very grateful for you to share your thoughts on this topic and hopefully by having this podcast episode we're you know helping to break that stigma amongst um, fellow healthcare professionals as well yeah, um, I also do, um, I'm a keen runner. That's how, how I sort of keep keep well outside of work. And I've ran for quite a lot of mental health charities, um, Mind Men- and the Mental Health Foundation. Um, and this year I'm doing an ultra marathon. Um, wow. Yes, I know. I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to attempt it because I haven't done it yet. Um <laughs> But I'm running for a really great charity in the North East called Mental Health Matters um, and um, Talking Matters Northumberland. They're a service that really helped me last year. Um, so I'm raising money for them for the great work that they do.
Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we can link to the charity in the show notes if you'd like to share their information with us. Yeah, that would be great. And I upload all my um, crazy adventures on the trails. So, yeah, um, it's a great charity. Brilliant. Well, best of luck with that. And thank you so much for your time, Karen. Thank you very much to our guests for speaking so candidly about their personal and professional experiences of mental health in the dietetic profession. I hope that you as our listeners found this an interesting episode. I know that it certainly resonated with myself, especially given the challenges that COVID has presented over the last year or so. We will link in the show notes to some useful resources. And I'd just like to say, if if you do enjoy listening to these episodes, please do leave us a rating um, or even a review because it really helps us to get the podcast out there to more fellow dietitians. So thanks again for joining us and tune in soon because our next episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming very soon. Thank you.